This episode is brought to you by 9AM Health. 9AM Health, diabetes care that fits your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Healing in Hindsight, your Nobia source for thriving with diabetes. If you don't know, I'm Taylor Danielle. I'm going to be your host today. And this week's guest, I'm really excited to have, and it's totally awesome because we coordinated through literally three different countries and time zones. So I'm really uh, appreciative of these wonderful ladies. And that is Taja and Sarah from Diabetes Uncensored with an S. These ladies have been doing live on on Instagram, actually, um, talking about all of the things that sometimes we don't want to talk about and pulling all of the layers back on living with diabetes and how we overcome things like intimacy and sensuality and being able to feel confident in your body, even though you might have diabetes technology like a CGM or an insulin pump. So I'm really excited because we get nice and nitty gritty with it. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. We talk about everything from body image to sexual intimacy to self-acceptance, all kinds of stuff. And I think it's going to be a really valuable um, conversation for you to listen into. So I won't hold you up any further. Just a heads up. This is the only video part that you'll see. The ladies decided that it would be best not to be on video. So you'll still be able to hear their lovely voices. But yeah, let's do it. Perfect. You're listening to Healing in Hindsight. Your no BS source for thriving with diabetes. What's up, guys? I'm Taylor Danielle, and it's my goal to help millennial diabetics like myself live an amazing life without your diagnosis getting in the way. I get it. I was diagnosed back in 2015 with type 2 diabetes, and it was really hard to find people around my age to understand how to travel, socialize, or even have meaningful relationships. But I feel like with a focus on mindset, perspective, and nutrition, together we can take back our health and our lives. Consider this the red table talk, but for diabetics. Minus the entanglement, so. So let's do it. Well, hi, ladies. How are y'all doing today? Hi. I'm good. How are you? Doing good. Well, I'm excited that you guys were willing to hop on. We have, although technically two of us are in the same time zone, but we're in three different places. We've got Texas, Costa Rica, and Australia. And it's evening for two of us, and it's morning for, for our Australian yeah. friends. Thank you for being willing to coordinate this because it can be a lot. You guys are my second duo guest where all three of us were in different places. So it's really nice when that goes. Yeah. The power of the internet, right? Internet is strong. Yeah. Especially after the past year. So bear with me. No worries. No worries. (laughs) Can I have my water here? (laughs) I know. I I just chugged some electrolytes because we were, again, we were celebrating a friend last night and I'm glad we got to bed early like true adults (laughs) to ensure it wasn't craziness this morning. Well, cool. Well, I am, I'm really excited to have you both on because something that I've taken notice of is your show on Instagram, diabetes uncensored and a play on the words with the uncensored part for those who know CGM life, everybody's got their their sensor that they got to keep on. Uh, And if you don't, that's what it's in reference to. And so What drew me to y'all's show was the fact that you're talking about subject matter that is either difficult to talk about or people aren't sure if they can talk about it. 
And sometimes I feel like the topics are pretty obvious of we should be talking about this. And so I've appreciated the perspectives that you guys have brought in different spaces. Taja, I actually met you in a clubhouse room uh, a while back. Really? Uh, and yeah, that's how I started following you. And, and then just seeing that, oh, there's a whole connection <laughs> of things. And then so Sarah, cool. that's how I got to you. It's been really cool to not only see y'all's individual journeys, but the stuff that you guys are doing together. So I'm going to shut up. And I would love for each of you, we'll start with you, Sarah, to just introduce yourself. I didn't say who's where, so where you're from and your passions and feel free to share about your individual shows, businesses. Yeah, sure. Thank you so much for having us on. And thank you so much for picking up on the whole play on words with diabetes uncensored. Sometimes I feel like we really have to emphasize the S in censor. But yeah, we are so excited about Diabetes Uncensored and it really is just the beginning. We've got so many big plans and ideas, which, yeah, we will keep you posted on for sure. But so about me, I live in Perth, Western Australia. So I'm on the West Coast of Australia, which is where I grew up. But I've actually been living on the East Coast for past seven years, following my career dreams around the country. I used to work in radio and then in the music industry. And then it was maybe about like a year and a half ago, I just started to feel like that life and that career were just not in alignment anymore. And so that's when I started, my brain started ticking away with other things that I could do. And obviously being a type one diabetic myself, I've had diabetes for 10 to 11 years. And it's been quite a journey for me. Like I haven't always been in a good place with it, which I'm sure we'll go into a little bit more throughout this episode. But yeah, it's been a journey. And it wasn't until maybe five years ago when I really started doing a lot of like inner work, self-love, that kind of thing, going within that my perspective on everything started to change, including the way I saw myself and my diabetes. And that's when I started to become really health conscious. I started to pay more attention to the foods I was eating, the way I would move my body and really just changed my relationship with diabetes altogether. Like I can honestly say I'm in a place with it now where I am at peace and actually grateful for my diagnosis and especially to be in like this space that we're in right now, being able to connect with other diabetics all over the world. That's incredible you know what it's like Taj and I always say it's like this instant friendship when you realize that someone else has diabetes you're just like oh you get me and whereas a lot of people who don't live with diabetes they are having a very different experience obviously so yeah I guess when I started to notice that these shifts were taking place in my life I wanted to share what I had learned with other people who were maybe a little bit in a similar place to where I was a few years before. And so I became a certified coach. I'm a master NLP practitioner. And so at the end of last year, I sort of decided to quit my whole life on the East Coast of Australia, quit my job, leave a relationship, move across the country and yeah, really build my business and see where this could go. So now I love coaching and especially working with people with diabetes or autoimmune conditions and yeah, so I guess that's me in a bit of a nutshell. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I love, I'm all for people who are like, you know what? 
I'm just going to quit everything and start completely over. I feel like we don't emphasize enough that that's okay to do, especially here in, in the states, the cultures find one thing and stick with it like for the rest of your life. And then we will become in awe of people who decide to do the polar opposite. And almost sometimes envious of like, why can't I do that? You, you can. Yeah, so much. That's a lot of what we're taught sort of here in Australia as well. It's okay, go to school, go to university, get a really good job. And then you stay in that and then you get married and have children. And then what? <laughs> so yeah, it's very yeah. similar sort of concept. I feel like, have you guys felt like the pandemic has been sort of, I don't know, like a pushing force for people to kind of sit and realize, hey, I want to do this or I don't want to do that. I've been seeing a lot of different people like taking these shifts and (laughs) changing their careers completely. Totally. Yeah, I completely agree. It really has put things into perspective. And even things like travel, like I know we were just talking before we started recording about where we would live in other places in the world. And it's almost like when something is like the option is taken away, we want it even more. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think with the past year, built a culture and a history of you have to keep your head down and nobody takes a breath to look up and see what's going on around them. And so the past year forced everybody to do that. You're forced to be at home. You're forced to interact with your family in ways that you're normally not used to because you see them in passing all the time. And I think last year was the the universe collective. I need y'all to just sit down and just shut up and listen to yourself for once because you weren't doing it before. And so I feel like that is definitely a push people to, oh yeah, I can actually pursue that. I did the same thing. I left my job. I'm pursuing all of this and other ventures full time because I know how to get a job. I know how to jump back in the hamster wheel. I did well in the startup world, so I'm not afraid to go back into that search. But if I don't decide for myself to try something, I truly don't want to live with regrets. So it's either do it now while I got the energy, while I got the time, the the good knees still and all of that. Let me make sure that I've, I go at it and try because I even see it with my parents sometimes. If you can see those moments where they look back and say, ah, I should have went for that. And so I, I don't want to do that. So I think, yeah, the past year has really done that. That being mm-hmm. said, Taja would love to hear from you. <laughs> Introduce yourself. Let us know all about you, where you are, all the things. Yeah, so my name's Taja, and I've been living with type 1 for just over 22 years. Diagnosed when I was 9, and I'm 31 now. And it was a bit of a challenge in the beginning. And even, I don't know if you guys feel like you go through stages of diabetes and the whole acceptance thing. Because it took me, I would say, probably from nine. Well, at the beginning, it was like, you're so young. You don't really care what other people are thinking about. (laughs) But then as a teenager, I went through a lot of challenging times, didn't take care of my diabetes. And then in my mid-20s was when I started like getting more serious, had a lot of body image issues growing up. And then diabetes just sort of accentuated that for me. And when I was 25, I started getting really into fitness and bodybuilding. And at the time it wasn't like diabetes just was still kind of like in the background. And then I realized, Hey, if I want to like really 
get to that next level with my fitness and stuff, I have to really take my blood sugars into account because I'm trying to, at the time I was trying to lose weight and I'm like, well, a calorie deficit is how you lose weight. And my blood sugars were going low all the time. And I'm like, I got to get this into check. And so I finally got a CGM. So my fitness is really what kind of propelled my motivation to take care of diabetes. I started a blog sharing my journey with fitness and that's sort of what started the idea of me helping other people with their fitness journey and losing weight with type one. Because in the beginning, like when I first moved to LA, my goal was to be a model and an actress. And so I was doing all these things. And if you had said, Hey, will you like wear a CGM in an in-foam pump? I would be like, no way that's not going to happen. And then it, one night, my boyfriend, it's kind of funny because he was the one that was like, hey, like you're, you've been doing all these things and focusing on your blood sugars and learning about like how your body's responding and figuring it all out to fitness. Why don't you do something with that and like, help people? And I'm like, that's such a bad idea. Like, I'm never going to do that. I was still <laughs> in that like mindset of, I don't want to show diabetes. And then eventually it just kind of unfolded. So it's funny how that happened. <laughs> but I started helping people. I started coaching people. And then I changed my blog and started a podcast. And that's sort of like the beginning of where everything started. And now we're here. <laughs> so in a nutshell, I guess that's kind of the beginning. And yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So it sounds like we all have what feels like similar stories. And I, I even uh, hear that from other folks of like, somehow your diabetes has pushed you into your potential calling, right? Of this is the thing that you were really meant to do or that um, you're meant to shed light on. Because of, I've definitely did the thing where I'm like, I'm just going to run around and not even pay attention to it. And I thought my life was being a corporate trainer. That's what I was good at. That's what I enjoyed doing. I loved onboarding people and getting them acclimated and developing them. But at the same time, it was just like, that's not exactly what I want to do the rest of my life. It's, I like the training people part, not the corporate side part. And it's interesting how something that you're trying to hide still found its way to show itself. And now you're doing amazing things for people. So totally. Really cool. Like a bit of a blessing in disguise um, almost. But in hindsight, yeah. looking back, it's like, oh, wow, if I wasn't diagnosed with diabetes, maybe I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. Sure. I definitely think that's, think I'm the baby of the group. I'm only about six years in, but I don't think I would have done anything. I think I probably would have stayed stuck in a lot of stuff, <laughs> actually, and <laughs> things would look a lot different. So it's an interesting thing to be grateful for something that in a way, if you could choose not to have it, you wouldn't. But at the same time, it's what pushed you. And it's, it's finding the, the small moments, I guess, and appreciating yeah. that. I also wonder, like, similar to what we were saying before you know, about how COVID has really influenced us to sort of like, we'll slow down a little bit, which then puts things into perspective. Like, same with diabetes. Like, in my experience and whether like I'm always consciously aware of it or not I think having this diagnosis and this lingering disease has sort of made me take life less for granted and so I definitely 
have wanted to jam pack my life with as many experiences as possible, whether that be travel and just taking risks and all of these things that maybe I wouldn't be in that mindset if I didn't have a diagnosis that could have some have an impact on quality or length of life. I mean, I'm such a huge believer that diabetes isn't going to stop us from doing anything, but it's almost like it could be this unconscious, like, influence on wanting to get more out of life. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely, because you have this feeling of how is it going to transform me the more that I push on. And I definitely can see how people can get stuck in their head of this is all that I am now. I shouldn't go experience life because it's too risky for me. And I think for a lot of us, we're kind of moving into that opposite mindset of actually, you know what? I can work with this. My last guest, she helps people with diabetes and travel. Cool. And I didn't even think about that. I'm medication based. And I'm like, I never even thought about that. And then when I got a CGM, I was like, oh, I got to worry about how I get to the airport and all these things. And I'm like, oh, shit, what? Dude, I got to talk to you because I did not yeah. think about any of this to see that someone has figured it out. And it's like, hey, we can. Like, it shouldn't hold you back. And even learning about how certain countries are, are really accommodating for getting you your supplies and things like that. Like, it's so cool to hear. And it just further pushes you to go experience life. Amazing. So now I have a cool. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. And she's originally from France, but now she's in the UK. It's super cool. She's traveled. I love Over that. 28 countries. Wow. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. We've definitely, Dude. in fact, I think we talked about that on one of our Diabetes Uncensored Instagram lives about traveling with diabetes. And yeah, it's so interesting to hear all the, the different stories. I feel like everyone's had some kind of an experience. Um, you know, even. Yeah, I still get anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine. Yeah. Especially traveling overseas to a country that, like, you're not really sure how their healthcare system works, things like that. I didn't even think about, should I get a doctor's note for these kind of things? I never thought about if my prescription runs out or if I lose it or I lose my bag. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I was like, I've been traveling at least stateside for a minute. And I didn't even think about none of that. Like, I'm dead. English is a, a barrier as well, or language is a barrier. I had an experience once I was in Venice, Italy, which is a very obviously like isolated part. And I ran out of my long lasting insulin, like on the first day being in Venice. And I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Like I, so anyway, I went to the nearest pharmacy and they didn't have any really idea what I was talking about. Language is definitely a barrier. Mm. So then I've had to find another one and they've had to order it in from the mainland, which then took another day. So I was actually without long lasting insulin for a little bit. And it cost me so much money because obviously in Australia, I am entitled to subsidization on my insulin, but in an, a foreign country, I'm not entitled. So it cost me a lot of money. I definitely had to get my travel insurance involved and it was just super scary. I think that was the main part. I was like, what if mm. I can't get it? So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dude, we'll definitely check out uh, the Diabetic Travelers Network. I think even in, in my show notes, she left a free guide for like, getting through the airport, all kinds of stuff. 
she shared a lot of great uh, tips. The founder, Julie, is her name. And yeah, I was so glad I found her account on Instagram. I was like, I didn't think about any of this. And, yeah, I'm going to check know, her out. It's, yeah. it's totally like I could totally, especially for you guys having to take insulin manually, like I would be terrified. And I could only imagine how that must feel in that moment of, like you said, what if I couldn't pay for it? What if I couldn't afford it? Because I wasn't aware of how that country system works. So glad it worked out though. Cause ooh, that's scary. Yeah. Okay. So I really want to ask you guys, uh, I ask all of my guests this in some form, but especially when I have diabetic guests, because I know there's so many of them and I love hearing everybody's perspectives and Taja, we'll start with you, but I want to know what's one misconception about diabetes that you just want to like, stop the madness. Ugh. Please stop thinking this. <laughs> this is not how this works. All right. I know there's a lot, but I would love to hear one misconception that you just want to completely myth bust right here on the spot. It's like just it's so hard to pick just one because I feel like there's so many. But one that I actually believed myself for a really long time and is the fear of insulin and weight gain. So that would be one that I think is really important because I think it's a one that many people struggle with who are trying to lose weight or feeling <laughs> that struggle themselves. Because really, yeah, insulin is a hormone, but it's not the main cause for weight gain in type one. It's taking too much insulin and then having low blood sugar and then having to eat a bunch of calories treating it. So that's the number one that really I would like to bust <laughs> through. Yeah. Very nice. And I, I didn't even know that myself, of, but now it makes sense when you say it in sequence of, like, okay, you're, when you're trying to treat a low, um, especially I have the tendency to binge eat when mm -hmm. I hit a low and trying to, to pause yourself and mm -hmm. slow yourself down enough. Of, don't tear up the entire house. Don't get on the food app and order the entire menu. <laughs> slow down, yeah. drink something a little bit because you feel, uh, it's not a fun feeling going low. And so when you feel it, your, your biggest concern is just, I need to get this up now before it's too late. Mm -hmm. So awesome. Sarah, what is your misconception that you want to make? Yeah, up? so I agree. There's so many. And I think there's a couple that spring to mind for me. What First of all is one that I've had a lot in my life, and that's you don't look like you have diabetes. And I'm like, well, what Ooh. does diabetes look like? Because it's an invisible yeah. illness that aren't often physical symptoms on the outside. So people just make these assumptions around what diabetes would look like, but I don't even think they've probably even taken the time to consider what it would look like anyway. Mm -hmm. I think also it's not something that bothers me as much anymore, but I definitely used to feel super triggered when people would sort of tell me about diabetes, people who weren't living with diabetes. And I'm just like, Wait, hold on, like, how do you know? And how could you possibly know if you're not living with it? So that used to really trigger me. And again, it comes back to that mindset shift for me. And now I see those misconceptions and those assumptions as like opportunities for me to sort of set the record straight. But I used to feel really, yeah, triggered and angry about it. And I would just tell people, go Google it. I just wouldn't even give them the time of day. I couldn't even be bothered. But then something that I'm super passionate about now in wanting to help other diabetics and work with other diabetics is helping them work through that 
their like maybe limited beliefs around what they can and can't do as a diabetic because I just believe that we can do absolutely anything and it shouldn't hold us back in any kind of way. And of course, we're going to experience challenges, but challenges are good. Challenges mean we're growing and we just need to learn to work with it. So that's something I'm super passionate about now. And that's what I, why I love working with Taj because she's got a similar like perspective on this and we just really want to empower diabetics rather than buy into the whole victimhood and what could go wrong. And yeah, that's probably the number one for me. Oh, I'm loving this already because <laughs> man, the, I, I'm just going to jump into yeah. it. I really want to talk back. about body image <laughs> because I've seen you both share really great stories on your personal pages about it. Taja, I really appreciate your post about what does it mean to feel sexy and like trying to hide your diabetes sometimes or like the sensor because you still want to be stylish and feel flirty and sensual and all these things. But at the same time, when you're physically wearing something attached to yourself, it's kind of a, it's an immediate reminder of, like, oh yeah, and possibly having to explain things to people. And then Sarah, I know on your side, the mental battles that are going on of, can I do that? Should I be able to do that? Can I be girly and, and flashy and all these kind of things without worrying about is someone going to take me seriously or not especially with dating so i'm excited Ooh. to get that okay <laughs> i want to know taja i'm going to start with you i want to know what were some of the challenges that you were facing whenever especially with the pursuing of modeling things like that like you want to feel sexy what was it like when you came up against a moment where it's i really want to feel this way but my diabetes maintenance stuff is kind of hindering that and how did you overcome that yeah, it was challenging for so long that it was the main reason I didn't get a CGM or an insulin pump because I was so worried how other people would perceive me. And I thought, because I didn't know anyone else who was wearing them and there was no one who would be going to like the test shoots or any auditions that were wearing these diabetes supplies. So I was like, well, I don't want to stand out in a bad way. It's this weird and then people probably wouldn't even have cared, like looking back in hindsight, but I was stuck in this mindset of, I don't want to be that different. If I'm wearing something attached to my body, what are people going to think about me? What am I even going to get the part? Are they going to want me to model? Like I had so many fears around it. So I just didn't get any of them, even though now that I have them, they are the main thing that has helped me take care of diabetes. So I was just really in denial about it for a long time and I just kind of pushed it away. So does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, absolutely. Sarah, I would love your perspective on like mentally when you're, especially as women, it's already kind of pushed on us to, you know, always be on basically. And so now we're kind of in this stage where we're flipping that on its head uh, a lot more aggressively and feeling sexy or sensual and how you present yourself is truly about your choice and how you want to do that. But what are some of the ways that people can mentally power through wanting to be expressive, but being concerned about their diabetes and their tech and not wanting that to hinder me wanting to wear a bikini or something like that? Yeah, totally. So I think because I used to have a lot of the same sort of like thoughts, like I didn't want to get an insulin pump or a, a, an insulin, 
an insulin pump or a CGM for a long time because same reason I didn't want to have anything attached to me. I was concerned about like other people's judgments around that. And yeah, especially when it came to dating and being a single girl and there's been a bunch of stories that I could share in relation to that. And one of them that always stands out to me the most is a a guy that I was seeing said he wouldn't reproduce with me because I had diabetes. And so that definitely triggered a long forming limiting belief that I had around how I was perceived as a diabetic. And it really made me feel quite worthless because I was like, wow, I'm, I'm a woman. I want to have the option to have children later on. That's something that is so incredible about us as women. But if other people are seeing me as not worthy or not capable or not able to reproduce or like I was broken or something and they didn't want to expose their children to that, then that was so limiting. And I did, again, in hindsight, I didn't realize at the time, but now looking back, I see how much of an impact that really had. But like I said earlier, when everything started to shift for me, it was when I shifted my relationship with myself. So it all starts with us. And for us to have any kind of impact on how other people see us, we first of all must have to see ourselves like that. And so for me, what really changed everything was that self-love journey and going within and like working with coaches and um, an energy healer. I, I loved working with. She changed a lot of things for me. That's when I started to shift all of these other ideas and limiting beliefs that I had around diabetes and health and how other people saw me. And it's interesting because a lot of the time, these ideas that we think people have about us are actually just ideas that we have about ourselves. And it's often yeah, sometimes not even true. It's just like a story that we've made up in our heads. So actually that's a little tool that I like to use with myself and my clients and that sort of thing. And that's just asking ourselves like, well, is it true that idea, that thing that I'm thinking about diabetes or whatever the situation, is it actually true? And if I still believe that it is true, then what evidence do I have to back that up? And that's why I think these conversations are so important as well and like sharing our experiences on social media because it really can help to, well, I guess, empower us individually but also get the truth out there. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you brought up a really valid point, which is something that I went through last year purposely because of the slowdown. It was just like I was struggling so much with my body image and it had already been an ongoing thing. I mean, again, as women, when are you not thinking about what you look like sometimes, especially when it's projected on you growing up and when you start to date and all those kind of things of how you should be, look, whatever, and who's attracted to you based on that. But it was really hard and on my relationship of I just couldn't stand even looking at myself sometimes because it was so hard, especially as a type two, because the kind of nasty end of it, of people not really knowing what diabetes looks like is when you start to define the type that you're having to manage. Oh, you cause that. Oh, just lose the 40 pounds and you'll be fine. Oh, well, if you just, all these things that start to rain down on you and you're just like, I'm already struggling with today's beauty standards. And now I'm medically fat. Cool. Thanks for that. So it's just like having to struggle through all of that. And I had to sit there and say, you know what? 
I got to feel okay with myself. If I don't feel okay with, with what I look like on the outside, there's no way I can communicate with my partner what intimacy feels like for me because I'm struggling to engage because I don't like me right now. And so it did lead to me getting with a sensuality coach and reconnecting with my body and appreciating my body where it's at and recognizing how much protection it's brought me through despite being a diabetic. Like I got the whole ass pandemic, you know what I mean? I think a lot of people don't fully realize that is your body has taken you through a lot. And so there has to be extremely high level of appreciation for what you have, because I feel like the minute that I stopped wanting to change so much and just said, you know what, just thank you for bringing me right here. Everything unlocked for me about how I felt myself physically, how I treated myself. And even though there's still moments where you slip off a little bit, but you're not guilt tripping yourself so hard. It's just, we had a moment. We wanted chocolate. It's cool. So it's just one of those things where you truly have to learn how to love yourself and be in a deep relationship with yourself before you can start to communicate that outwards or, you know, even take on some of the misconceptions and things about how you see yourself. So I think that's a really valid point because things completely, and not only just physically, like opportunities started arising simply because I just said, I'm the shit and I'm just going to own that and the rest of y'all can kick rocks <laughs> like in that form. So it's, it was crazy because, you know, it's an energetic thing. I, I, that you just said it, it's totally the energy that you bring when you like ignite that light inside of you. It's just, it's crazy. I totally feel that. (laughs) It was insane. And and there's still moments too, Mm -hmm. but it's cool to be able to snap yourself out of that. Once you've experienced it and you're like, Oh, I'm off my game. Hold on. Let me go take some time and recharge (laughs) myself. Then it's like, all right. And that's such a good point as well. As we always say, it is a journey. And of course there are going to be days where you still have those sort of quote unquote negative thoughts about yourself or the world, but it's just being able to have those tools and those processes where you are able to work yourself out of it and quite quickly rather than sitting in that energy and just feeding it because where energy goes, sorry, where focus goes, energy flows. And so I think that's the thing that's well certainly helped me on my own journey and also working with clients and everything. It's about having the tools, being able to work through those emotions rather than sitting in them and allowing them to expand and grow. Yeah. yeah. It's so beautiful because it's like what's coming to mind for me is like just being able to observe those moments and those parts of ourselves. It's like it's we all have them. It's That's part of being human. Just, yeah. Yeah, and not judging ourselves. Just acceptance of okay, yep, cool, I'm going through this thing. And just learning from it too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think you both make very valid points because one, we're having to learn how to do that as adults because we're not being taught how to do that as kids. And I don't blame my parents for that. Like they were just doing the best that they could. But I think that's why our generation is so powerful because we're kind of getting ahead of the curve a little bit before it's kind of like, all right, I'm ready to retire, but you know, here's all the things that I learned. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're able to to push that out now while we still have the drive to do. But, you know, kind of in that same vein, you guys have talked about dating and sex on the show, and I definitely want to dig into that a little bit because 
for me, especially for y'all having to manually take insulin, the only time I really started to think about how my diabetes affected my intimacy was when I got my CGM. I mean, I've only had mine a few months now. And I didn't realize how much I was kind of hiding stuff for my partner, not intentionally, but like realizing I'm feeling low. Let me go knock back some juice before we get into anything. Because when I was first diagnosed, like right before I had fainted in the shower at my ex's place and he had to pull me out and had no clue what was going on, anything like that. And, I'm, and so that kind of flashes me back of like, okay, I mean, He's a medic in the army, so I'm like, I think I got, you know, at least one advantage there. But at the same time, like, what happens? And I'm unconscious and I can't make decisions for myself. What do I do? And it's been a, a learning process for the both of us having a CGM. He actually has been scanning me in the middle of the night if he's here or if I'm at his place. Because, like, <laughs> and I think I caught him doing one time when I was half asleep. And I was like, did you scan me? He's like, yeah, I was just... I was, I was a little worried. I was like, oh, that's sweet. Was I okay? Yeah, you were good. <laughs> and so even stuff like that and thinking through like having the CGM nearby when you're wanting to be intimate and ensuring that sometimes I'm keeping snacks around and all these things like that. So I would love to get both of y'all's perspectives on navigating intimate moments and things that you've done to help overcome the nervousness. Because I'm sure it's nerve wracking, especially when you're with someone new of, yeah, I've got this alarm thingy that's going to go off it just ignore it that's for me it's <laughs> that. alarm, he's like when i lose signal he's constantly looking for it like it's going off again i'm like it's just lost signal calm down like i'm not dying <laughs> would love y'all's take on that sure yeah <laughs> do you want to go sarah do you want to go first <laughs> uh, i was gonna say the same thing so one moment that really stands out for me was while in the process of being intimate I wasn't sure if I was like getting close or if I was having a sugar low because uh, <laughs> I, I felt a shift in my body and I'm like, mm. and I actually had to say to my partner, we've got to pause. I'm just going to go check my blood sugars. And sure enough, I was having a low. And so therefore I had to go have a snack and bring my blood sugars up and then we we're able to return. But it was yeah, a few different thoughts sort of ran through my head at that moment. I was like, oh, like, this must be so annoying for him or what is he going to think or are we going to be able to get back into it? All of those sort of thoughts. But thankfully he was, yeah, we had a really good relationship and it all just came down to that communication. And I felt so grateful as well in that moment that I could be open about it and I knew he would be understanding and his main concern would be for me and getting those blood sugars up. But there was definitely, yeah, it was definitely an interesting moment. So that one stands out for me a lot. But yeah, <laughs> communication, I feel. But sometimes it can be really hard, especially when we're still holding on to some of those ideas and limiting beliefs around what people are going to think. And honestly, it's taken me such a long time to get to that point. If you had have asked me, even three years ago, I would have probably just tried to push through, just pretended like everything was okay because I didn't want to be perceived as needy or annoying or because then I started thinking like, oh, are they going to be concerned that this is going to happen every time? All of those sort of limiting beliefs. So it's mm. definitely taken me a long time to get to this point where I'm able to go, you know what, my health comes first. This 
And it, yeah, if you are going to think anything else, then that's a reflection on you. As in the partner, if they're going to have any other sort of like negative ideas around the situation, then that's a bit of a reflection on them. And then we have bigger problems. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For me, in the past, like I, when I was on injections, pricking my fingers manually, I would kind of just ignore it. I'd kind of feel like I was going low, but I'd be like, no, you just push through it. And one time I actually blacked out in the middle of having sex. Like it was a pretty bad experience. And I also think looking back now, because I feel like the CGM gives you this heightened awareness about yourself. You can just see what's going on. And looking back now at those past relationships, sometimes I would get super moody and start fights. And I'm like, I feel like a big part of that was because my blood sugar was low. Like I just was, it didn't have that awareness that I do now with the CGM. And I definitely think because I've been with the same partner for six, six years almost. So he was like at the beginning, I was still didn't have any gadgets. So luckily he's been totally supportive with it, but I sometimes will think what if it was like a, in the beginning and I was just wearing these, how would I feel? And what comes to mind for me is just because in the beginning I was so, I was still feeling very low self-confidence because of how I felt about my body that I feel like that plays a big part in how you feel when it comes to, well, for me personally, when it comes to confidence and how I feel showing and being like, oh yeah, that's just a CGM. Like, this is what it does. Don't worry if it makes, just giving, having that communication and being in a place now where I am more confident about my body. And I feel like that it's like how I see myself transforms when I feel good about myself and when I'm wearing gadgets because I know it's part of a bigger purpose and I don't really care as much. So that's a big thing for me personally. Yeah, you bring up uh, something that I hadn't thought about and it's our partners do a, a lot to support us in this because in a way they're kind of in it with you too. They are your empathetic energy counterpart of I also have diabetes because when we're together that's something that's on the back of my mind that's something that even though I'm trusting you to to take care of your own body and do what it needs but I'm backup if god forbid anything were to happen and so similar for me me and my partner started out without any tech outside of just a regular manual finger prick but when he saw me really fighting to get a CGM because it's, it's a little bit harder for type 2s unfortunately and I finally got it. Like, I literally almost cried. I was sitting in the car. So I'm like, I finally. And he saw my excitement and being able to be aware of things. And then I experienced my first sensor falling off a couple weekends ago. And he's looking with me like, oh, my God. And, and my friend uh, who we were out with, he was like, wait, what happened? He's like, her sensor fell off. It's, I need to know where it is. Cause, and just, like, seeing him, like, take that protection over me almost of, I got to make sure she's okay especially when it comes to drinking and having to manage what your blood sugars are doing with that and all that. And even now, especially with the, to your point, Taj, of the body confidence being so high now, I don't even think about it on my arm half the time. And it's, I almost think it's funny if like we're in the middle of being intimate and he snags my reader and is like, mm, 
all right, cool. Just make sure. Like it just kind of becomes this funny moment between us and to be able to not make it a big deal. So that way you can kind of get back into the groove of things, which kind of leads me to my next question. How did you guys manage having to pause? And then I'll be right back. I got to get some fruit snacks. Hold on. Like, how did you work back getting into the mood? Because that's always something that, I, like, he and I, we're goofy already. We're like, we're goofy and awkward, and we own that about our relationship. But sometimes, especially as the woman, and you're wanting to be, at least for I'll speak for myself, like, wanting to be more initiative or whatever. And I just bought this really cute lingerie set, and so you have this whole theme in your head, and you're acting it out, and then goofy shit happens, and you're just like, oh, that didn't go. How? It was supposed to go, and I had to pause and get a snack. And like, how do you get back into that headspace without it, you know, being awkward? Because that's one of my things. Like, <laughs> I really like wearing all of these flirty thingies, but it's not comedy hour. Like, trying to, trying to set a tone here. <laughs> yeah, I know. Me, the idea of me prancing around in laundry, like, it's totally not my jam. Because same thing, I'm like, I have this idea of that looking really sexy in my head, but then it just doesn't feel natural to me. And I'm like, oh, let's just make a joke about this. How did I get back into the moment? I've really got to think about this. I think we probably just waited a little bit and I felt okay. And we, I think we just got straight back into it. (laughs) Straight to the point. No need to rub the edge anymore. It's still there. Just had to add a little bit more gas. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. I feel. Totally about you. Yeah. No, I, I can piggyback on that because I feel like there. What else can we do? I feel like it's just a moment that if we if we make a big deal about it, it just makes it more awkward. Well, for me, so it's better just to be like one second. And what I've noticed too is I literally, there's no way that I can have an orgasm or anything unless my blood sugar is in range. It just doesn't happen. So I think luckily my boyfriend is, he's all for it. So he'll be like, no, like, how's your blood sugar? We'll be like in the middle of doing stuff. He'll be like, how's your blood sugar? I'm like, excuse me. That's not, I'm fine. <laughs> so he's very like hyper aware of like, okay, are you in a good range? Which is nice. But yeah, like Sarah, if I have a low or something, I'll just, we'll just pick back up where we left off and just start from zero again, build it yeah. up again. Kissing, <laughs> to full play and then, hmm. <laughs> Yeah. I never thought about that, about like how your orgasms can be affected by your blood sugar mm-hmm. range. Obviously, like, super low. It's more of just, I don't want my body to slip into a state where it's just completely not funny Mm -hmm. anymore. But even if going too high, and one of my previous guests, who's also a nurse, talked about how women can experience dryness and things Mm -hmm. like that whenever their diabetes is kind of out of control. Because I've only heard about males having issues. That was actually all one of the first things that my dad told me when I was diagnosed. Yeah, my dad is also type two. And when I was, he was telling me about the medication that they just put me on, he was like, yeah, you're going to experience this and this. And sometimes erectile dysfunction happens. And I'm really? like, I didn't know uh, that. You're like, good thing I don't have a penis. And I'm like, you you have a daughter. You remember that? Right? I don't, nah, I don't know how that is relevant for me, but thanks dad. <laughs> That's so interesting. I love it. It's him. never even crossed my yeah. mind because 
I don't know if I've noticed anything like in like those departments, like my blood sugar having an impact on that. But I don't know if it's just maybe me not paying a lot of attention to it. But yeah, that's so interesting. And it just goes to show like how much of an impact like high and low blood sugar can have on just our overall bodily functions. Yeah, it really blew my mind. Mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, we can have issues too? I thought we were safe at least. Dang, like we're not safe for anything. Yeah. But it's, and I think a, a bigger part of it too, because you know, as women, a lot of times we struggle to even get to a place of understanding our bodies to orgasm. Mm-hmm. And you hear stories mm-hmm. about women not really knowing what that's like and having to spend years faking it because I'm just like, I don't know what I'm supposed to expect. I, I went through it and I was just like, oh. This is what it feels like when I actually pay attention to my body. Yeah. Cool. This is great. I see what the heck is about. <laughs> and now taking your condition into it of thinking back on those early days, especially I was in denial for about two and a half years. I was diagnosed at 25. I'm 31 now as well. And you still want to do the things. You still want to be in your 20s and party and all that kind of stuff like that. And you're trying to climb the corporate ladder. And for me, being medication-based, it was just like, okay, take the pill and you'll be fine. That fixes everything. I don't need to like necessarily change anything. And so spent about two and a half years in denial and even trying to force myself to not take my medication of like, I should just be able to manage this by myself and kind of wreaking havoc on my body. Cause it's just it's like this constant up and down cycle. And so, yeah, being in a crappy mood all of the time. Mm-hmm. And so now when it's more controlled and you're hyper aware with technology and stuff like that, you're able to shift and really know in that moment, oh, okay, this is what I'm feeling. Now I can move accordingly. So that's really interesting. I never thought about, uh, there might be an experiment. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I don't think it's something that would have even, maybe it wouldn't even be on my radar without a CGM because just being able to see those trends and my numbers dropping or going up, I'm like, it just gives me so much more insight to like, okay, this is what's affecting you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I've heard people say, I've seen a couple of of people say that vigorous sex actually helps lower. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming it's because it's kind of like exercise in a way because you're being physically active, but I've seen it multiple times from other diabetics and medical professionals. It happens um, to me. Where they're like, (laughs) yeah. I'm like, what? That's a great way to, all right, yeah, I need to lower my blood sugar. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, totally. It's such a good point you make about just being in tune with how your body feels as well. And I think that's why I had that moment when I was like, am I getting close? Because it was almost like a bit of a euphoric feeling because I, I don't know if anyone else like experiences this when their blood sugars are dropping as well. But the initial sort of feeling for me, like maybe it's just that feeling that feeling that shift, I'm like, oh, okay, that's not so bad. And then it's not until I'm like, okay, now I'm feeling really horrible that I know I have a low, but just that initial shift that I noticed. And that's why I couldn't work out what was what without checking my blood sugar. But it's such a good point. I think like I used to be very much in denial as well. I was diagnosed at 18, same thing. All I cared about was going out clubbing and partying with my friends and I didn't want to be different. And so I really just tried to ignore like diabetes a lot of the time. And I do my insulin here and there just sort of enough to get by, but I wasn't like focused on my blood sugars or my HbA1c and actually improving 
those, I sort of, I think that's another thing that plays into it with having an invisible illness. It's, it's almost hard for you mm. to even really comprehend when you can't physically see it. Obviously we feel it, but it was like, oh, well, this is maybe something I have to worry about later, not right now. So yeah, I was really out of tune with how high and blood sugars felt because I was just so sort of used to running all over the shop and feeling a bit like icky. But then when I started to really narrow in on it and improve my diabetes and blood sugars, I'm now able to notice the symptoms like really quite early on if my blood sugar is rising or dropping. Yeah, I just think it's such an interesting point about being in tune with our body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a lot to balance. And I think this is the part of being a diabetic that actually makes things, at least for me, interesting. And, and like you said, it's like, no, I kind of want to have an experiment. Especially when I first got my CGM, I was scanning everything. And I even started like buying certain snacks just to see what's an Oreo going to do. Let's find out. And, and it kind of made it fun for a little bit because it's just tech has advanced a lot. And there's still, it's not a perfect, but at least the opportunity to really just see in real time what's going on with you. And then, like you said, match it with what you're feeling in your body. It's you're kind of training yourself mm -hmm. so that if I have a situation where my sensor falls off, I doubt that'll be the last time I have a sensor fall off, right? And knowing at least, okay, in the meantime, I've got to use my own internal system to know what's going on and to be able to communicate that. So I think that's really great. So I want to shift gears a bit and talk about how you guys came together, because as we learned early on, we're all in different parts of the world. So I got to know how you guys met, what made you decide to start Diabetes Uncensored. I know you, both of you guys have your own podcasts and things like that. So I'm curious as to how you guys you know, decided to uh, pursue this idea. It was so random. <laughs> it was. It really was. <laughs> yeah. Sarah, so Sarah sent me a DM, right? Yeah. <laughs> on Instagram. I, I was actually trying to get Taja into one of my programs because I saw she was a diabetic. So I just randomly cold DM'd her. Yeah. And it was such a, it's so funny how when I like looking back, cause it's like you DM'd me out of the blue and I read it and I remember thinking like, yeah. I don't think I'm interested in that, but it sounds so cool that I'm sure other people would benefit from it. And so I was like, do you want to come on my podcast? And then we, yeah, we did a podcast episode and like, sometimes you just click with people and we just, we were like, after we were done recording, we just kept talking. <laughs> and so then we just, it, that's kind of what happened. It was so random, literally. Yeah. And then we just like having those conversations after that first podcast episode, we're like, oh, we should talk about this on another episode. And then I was like, and then I should get you on mine and we should talk about this. And it was just like the ideas started snowballing. And then I think we decided to do like an Instagram live together. And at that point we hadn't even mm -hmm. come up with the name or anything like that. And I think we thought, I think we just planned, you know, a random live together. And we're like, actually, we have so many other things that we can talk about. And yeah, it just kind of snowballed from there. And we just still now we're just like, oh, and we should do this. And oh, and then we could take it to this level and mm -hmm. then we could do this as well. But yeah, yeah, sorry. So yeah, like now in hindsight, looking back, it's, I'm so glad I sent Taj that 
random DM because it obviously was like meant to be because yeah, we just are on the same page and have all these awesome ideas and a real mutual like why and intention for wanting to help other people. Mm -hmm. And the feedback's been so good, which is exciting, but also it just, to me, it's like that moment when you're like, do I send the DM? Do I not? Whatever it is about, send it because you never know what will blossom out of that. Right. So true. I mean, that's how I got y'all here. Yeah. I I don't know if they'll respond to me. (laughs) Hi guys. Exactly. (laughs) And and I've been shocked that I've been reaching out to people and people that, especially when you're, we're in the world of, of numbers. So it's, oh, well, I'm a small podcaster compared to these people. And like they're not going to pay attention to me. And, and when you finally send it and they're like, oh, my God, they said yes. What? Like, seriously? OK, we're doing this. We're doing this. Oh, shit. Am I really worthy of doing this? Can I really do this? That whole look up yeah. and down. Yeah. It's the, the crazy cycle, but it's so cool. And it's just, yeah, take the leap. Send yeah. the DM. Shoot your shot. Like, you never exactly. know. Exactly. <laughs> and it's even if it doesn't matter how big or small a podcast is or you're following on Instagram or anything like that, even if you just reach one person or it gets into the ears mm-hmm. of one person and you can make a difference in their life, I consider that to be a huge win. Yeah, there's something Absolutely. on that note where I forget where I heard it. I think I've heard it from a few different places where it's like whether you have a 100 followers on Instagram or whatever it is, maybe a podcast or whatever, a 100 people – doesn't seem like a lot when you're comparing it to people who have millions, but imagine if you were in one room and a hundred people were there just to hear you speak. That's a huge achievement. So yeah, yeah, exactly. I need to remember that sometimes because again, everything is, uh, do you have, how many downloads do you have? How many unique listeners and how many people on Instagram? And I remember I celebrated the 300 milestone for the show Instagram. And I was like, I just care that 300 of y'all like are here. Yo, it took 300 Spartans and they held it down. I'm just saying like, it really is a lot. And when you put it in that perspective of if I was in a room with y'all, I'd, need, I'd actually probably need a stage. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I wouldn't be able to see all of y'all, you know what uh-huh. I mean? And it almost sounds like when you look at it that way and then you look at someone who is like thousands and thousands, I'm like, Oh, I couldn't imagine actually standing in front of, y'all we need an auditorium like yeah i think that's a great perspective is that if you were actually physically in a space with them would you feel the same about who you're reaching and i do have a follower who her son is type one and she heard an episode that i i try to post episodes on igtv as well as the normal podcast space and i had a male guest on and he was diagnosed at seven and she DM'd us and she was like, thank you so much. Me and my husband were laughing and we're crying and we're learning so much because you're sharing these experiences. And I'm like, that's it. That that's the one mm-hmm. part that I'm like, I'm doing what I'm supposed mm-hmm. to do in the world. Because when someone says this is helping me and this is relieving me from not freaking out, especially if you're a parent, like cool, because it's a ripple effect. Mm-hmm. Cause I would only imagine like, Hey, and I, I connected her with my uh, friend that's a nurse because she's a, a pediatric nurse at that. And she's type one. So I said, hey, well, if you have questions with how to manage with your son's stuff, reach out to her. And she did. And so it's like this chain reaction of collaboration over competition. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one thing that I'm seeing a lot 
specifically in the diabetic community where we're being more open to connecting because we're all pretty much saying the same message just from our own unique perspectives. We're here, we can do anything that we want to do and you don't have to sit in silence and suffer because you're not sure we're here to help. And so I think that's the beautiful thing about when you have a shared condition, like at at its core, we all get it no matter Mm -hmm. what type. And that's, it's so beautiful too, because it's like everyone, even though we are all living with the same ups and downs, highs and lows, there's really no right or wrong. So you can't be like, oh, I don't want to share this because people are going to judge me. But it's, it's such an individual disease that it doesn't matter. Like you're sharing your experience is going to help so many people in learning how to apply that to how they manage theirs. So, so true. And we talked about this in one of the Diabetes Uncensored lives as well, but it's such a journey when everyone's just at a different stage of their journey. Like I had a friend reach out the other day and he's just been diagnosed with severe osteoarthritis. So not diabetes, but he reached out because he's obviously having to deal with the diagnosis of a chronic condition where there's, you know, no cure and it's something he'll have to live with for the rest of his life. And it was a nice reminder to me of those early stages experiencing a diagnosis because he's completely in this grieving stage at the moment. He's unable to see any sort of light at the end of the tunnel yet. And it sort of took me back to when I was first diagnosed as well. And it also helped me to be more empathetic to myself as well, because the advice I gave to him was, you are allowed to experience anything that you are feeling right now. You're allowed to be angry. You're allowed to be sad. You're allowed to be whatever. It's all relevant. And this is part of your journey. And I can see that he'll be able to use it as his superpower at some point and help his clients because he's a um, functional medicine coach. And so for him, it's a huge part of his identity that has been compromised as well. And, but at the moment he is in that really, that deep grieving process. And I said to him, the number one thing that you need to focus on at the moment is acceptance. And it doesn't matter when you get there, it might be next week, it might be six months, it might be six years down the the track. And All of that is okay because that's relevant to his journey and that's what he needs to go through to be able to reach that point and learn why he was diagnosed with this and how he is able to use it as his superpower eventually. And also not comparing ourselves to anyone else as well because Mm -hmm. it's so individual. We're all diagnosed at different points in our life and this is something I always say as well. It's We're more than just our condition right? Because we're human first. We are experiencing all of life's stresses and challenges. And then we're also dealing with a chronic condition, which, you know, is an extra challenge that the average person doesn't have to experience. Yeah. I think it's so important that we are just kind to ourselves and we don't compare ourselves to anybody else because our journey is individual and, you know, unique to us. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And that's kind of what my journey has led me to is, you know, even though I do the diabetes side of things, like my own separate thing is coaching people to just be cool with themselves, both physically and mentally, because we've followed, I kind of see it as like, 
somebody decided to say, hey, we should all act this way, think this way, and do these things because it makes me comfortable. Versus, hey, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. Cool if you're comfortable with it. Cool if you're not comfortable with it. But we can respect each other. And so that's kind of the thing that I've come to a realization because of my diagnosis is that it pushed me to really dig deep into myself to accept myself physically and mentally and then realize, ah, oh, aren't y'all tired of like following these stupid rules that aren't designed <laughs> for you? Aren't y'all? Okay, somebody needs to speak about this. I guess it'll be me. And starting a whole separate thing with that because diabetes isn't who I am. It's just something that I have. Mm. And I think that's something that I appreciate about my diagnosis. It pushed me into what I want to do as much as I love doing this as well. And like you said, it, it's, it becomes a superpower. How many heroes have we found that they didn't necessarily ask for their superpowers like that? A Spider-Man got bit by a spider. I hate <laughs> spiders. Yeah. So I would have been freaking out. No, you know what I mean? So many things happen where this isn't ideal. I don't like this or it's scary or I'm worried about it. And it's like, okay, well, how do I flip this? Well, it's convenient climbing yeah. walls. So <laughs> Such let's a, go with that. good analogy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So with that being said, before I let you guys go, I would love for both of you to just share one piece of advice that you would give to somebody who's newly diagnosed. And Taja, let's start with you. I would say it's such a personal journey and there are really no limitations. And the biggest thing is just to really focus on yourself and build awareness and knowledge because it's the awareness part, I believe, that really it unlocks the doors to so many things, whether it be like awareness of, oh, like this is making me feel bad right now or whatever it is, or this is helping me. It just, it really, to me, is the foundation of being able to accept and just overcome those obstacles because there will be obstacles and it's, it can be so difficult some days, but over time with all the awareness, it becomes so much easier to manage and everyone will get there. So it's not like it's, and also there's, I think we sometimes strive, well, I strive, I can't speak for everyone to just be better every single day in how we manage things, but it's okay to have bad days because in the long span, when you're looking at those three month marks or six month marks or however you're really looking at your diabetes, there's going to be bad days and that's okay too. So just taking it as a whole and looking at it as the big picture can be so helpful. Yeah. yeah. Nice. So yeah, I you? completely agree with that. Like awareness is so key. The moment we become aware is the moment we choose. And I think for what really changed the game for me was obviously doing, you know, a lot of self-love inner work. So I would say spend some time with yourself and maybe if a coach or a healer or anything like that can help you with that, then reach out, at least give it a go. So that's when things really started to shift for me, but also in realizing that I wasn't alone because I felt super isolated when I was first diagnosed. 
No one in my family had diabetes. None of my friends had diabetes. I felt so different and alone. And I didn't really know who to turn to. And at that point, I wasn't ready to share any of my journey because I was still processing it myself. So I wasn't ready to share it on social media. I was um, scared of that judgment that could happen or I was still holding a lot of limiting beliefs. So I would say find the community because there is such a community. Instagram is incredible for that and that's one of the best things about social media is how it's connected us all. We wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation right now if it wasn't for social media. So we are so, I guess, blessed in that sense that we are living with a chronic condition during the times that social media exists because, yeah, I can't even imagine not having a community of people in my space and in my life now who are going through a similar thing. So that's been such a game changer. So you're not alone and you don't have to do it alone and just reach out. And like we said before, just send that DM. You just don't know if you're going through something and you're thinking these things, good chance someone else is as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think the community has been the most common with other guests Mm -hmm. is that's what I, that's how I started the show. I was looking for the community, but I was looking for it in a very skewed lens of they have to be mid twenties and they have to be type two, because I thought that was the only people who could relate to me. And then when I, you know, shifted to the podcast years later and started opening the doors for everybody, I found such this strong hidden bond and it completely changed my mindset. It's like, it doesn't matter what type you are. Mm-hmm. Like there's a community of people who get it and will be your shoulder, who will be your advisor, like whatever you need. And so I've been so grateful for the community of people that I found because, and, and when I meet others and I tell them like how I technically started this back in 2015 as a blog, they're like, why didn't I find you? I'm like, why not find you? Where were you? I was looking for you. So it's just, it's funny how we all have these connecting stories of wanting to relate because as humans, we want to connect and we want to relate. So absolutely come find us. The hashtags are, are real deep and you'll find everybody. It's honestly the kid that I didn't even know the T1D community or diabetes community even existed. And that's a big part of how I actually was able to accept diabetes. So mm-hmm. I know Sarah, you were talking about acceptance, which is such an important thing. And that's being able to see other people wearing a CGM who looked fit. And I was like, Oh, Hey, maybe I could wear a CGM too. It's not this picture yeah. that I had in my head. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's the beauty of it. And, and again, Taja, after meeting you in a clubhouse room uh, a while back and then following your page, I was so inspired because it's yo, she rocks this. Like, you're hot. Let's just put it out there. If y'all go look at her Instagram, she's gorgeous. And so it's just like, oh, I can do that? I can look cute with my sensor? Really? Me too? Oh, okay. Like, it's inspiring, especially as women, when we want to feel that way and you're owning it. And so to find other people who model that feels really good because then you're like, oh, I can do it too. I don't have to feel weird it's summertime here and I hadn't even thought about getting in a pool because mm-hmm. I was like oh yeah do I cover this thing what do I do I don't know and so just to know that I can lean on people of like oh I can get a, a patch thing or whatever and I can still be cute in my bathing suit and and it's fine like all of that makes a huge difference so more of the story community over everything yeah. maybe 
Okay, may- maybe equal to. <laughs> but it's a huge part. It's so important. Yeah. Well, ladies, this has been awesome. I am truly thankful that you guys, uh, on such short notice, too, thank you for being so willing to uh, connect in such a, a quick time frame and to lend me your energy and your advice. I think everything that you guys have shared is going to be so helpful for anybody else listening. And uh, I want to ensure that people can find you. So starting with you, Sarah, where can people find you? How can yeah, they Yeah, sure. The best place is probably Instagram. Of course, you can follow us at Diabetes Uncensored. We do have an Instagram page for the project that we're working on. We have something else, cooking, which we're very excited about. But yeah, so Diabetes Uncensored with an S. And me personally, I'm at Serendipity Coaching on Instagram. So that's S-A-R-A-N-D-I-P-I-T-Y Coaching. Awesome, awesome. And Taja, where can we find you? Yeah, so obviously, like Sarah said, Diabetes Uncensored on Instagram. And then my personal Instagram is at Taja Kato, T-A-J-A, like the Taj Mahal. And I also have a podcast called More Than Just a Type. So that's on all the podcast platforms. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And I will make sure that uh, everything is linked in the show notes below. Guys, make sure that you go follow them um, and support everything that they're doing. I promise you, you will be inspired. Ladies, thank you again for your time. This has been so awesome, and I can't wait to see what you guys do. You guys already know every Tuesday and Thursday is where you can find me, uh, either me or me and some awesome guests. But until then, we'll catch you guys next week. Thanks. That was a amazing conversation. Y'all, like, seriously, there's so many things to think about, to learn, to experiment with, and to understand this condition that we're living with. So I hope you enjoyed that. Taja and Sarah, thank you so much for your time and your energy and wisdom today. It was really awesome to just pull back the curtains on a lot of common things that people think about and may not be comfortable talking about. So I appreciate everything that you ladies are doing over at Diabetes Uncensored to help shed light and make it more comfortable for us to talk about the stuff that might be a little bit difficult to talk about. Be sure to go check them out to make sure that you're following them at Diabetes Uncensored. And remember, censored is spelled with an S. I'll make sure you have everything in the show notes below so that you can connect with them. And of course, check out Taja and Sarah separately as they do have their own podcast podcasts and businesses and show all your love and support to them because they're doing great things in the world of course you already know tuesdays and thursdays so i will release you to the rest of your week i hope you guys are having a great day week weekend wherever you are when you listen to this i'll catch you guys next time